everybody, welcome to another episode of the Best Ball Dose, your fix of best ball information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to look back at what has been an extremely competitive, interesting, and I would say overall enjoyable six months of off-season best ball drafting. We're going to talk about the amount of volume we got in, the distribution of where we played, our top player exposures, lessons learned, etc. Just sort of look back and see what we can take from the exciting best ball summer that we all have enjoyed since March. Joey, how are you doing on this fine Monday morning? Doing well. I'm doing well. We just had our redraft drafts last night. That was fun. You know, we both got some pretty solid teams in those leagues, and it's going to be a fun year, and I can't wait for football to start in, you know, 10 days or so from now. I know. It's it's approaching, and, and while we are doing our best ball recap right now, there are still 10 days to get things in. Drafters is headed for major overlay. They're just over 50% full in their $20 tournament, 250000 to first. There will absolutely be overlay. If you guys haven't played on Drafters yet, use promo code DOE when first depositing $10 or more, and they will give you a free entry into this tournament, a free shot at $250,000. And I'm I'm definitely going to be trying to get in some final shots in this tournament. But in terms of what we've already accomplished this offseason for best ball, let's just start at the top. I mean, did you have any goals in terms of best ball when the offseason started? Personally, I don't think I had any major goals for best ball. I just wanted to at least get some volume in on each site. And obviously at the beginning of the off season in March, we already knew what time it was going to be in terms of the sites and the contests that they were going to run. We kind of saw a little bit of it last year with the contests that were ran and it was only going to get larger from there. So ultimately did want to get volume in to all of these tournaments, especially with millions of dollars up top, because at the end of the day, I do think that you and I have an edge on a majority of drafters across every site. I I think getting in as many entries as you possibly could have into these tournaments would probably be a plus EV strategy in the long term. Yep. And and I would say that my biggest goal was volume oriented as well. My number one goal, just like that I knew I wanted to accomplish was to 150 max enter a tournament. I had never done that before. Last year, I had more entries across all the sites than I had previously ever had. I think I capped out around 300 going into 2021, as we'll get to in a minute. I'm well above that now. And after having never max entered a single tournament, I did max enter both of these smaller buy-in tournaments on drafters, the $5.55 entry pre-draft and their first $2.22 that launched shortly after the draft. So I did manage to 150 both of those. I feel good about that because I really do think that volume is where the edge is in in Mm -hmm. best ball. You know, if you're building well-constructed, well-thought-out teams, eventually you're going to be able to get them right as long as you're spreading your exposures properly and, and doing all the little things. Volume is where I think the biggest edge is currently in in best ball. Definitely, for sure. And I mean, currently I have... 
you know, just like a sixth of the entries that you've done total, maybe even a little bit lower. Right now, across every site, I have 61 total best ball entries. That number will probably finish in the mid-70s to 80s, especially with the Pomeranian forward which drop, which I plan to max that. And then I'm going to get in some more uh, DK entries before those tournaments close. So I'll probably be somewhere around 75 to 80 total drafts, which isn't that much, um, especially when you take into consideration like 30 to a site is where I'll probably end up at. For me personally, that's just because you know, I don't make a ton of money in real life. Uh, so I didn't have that much extra capital to devote to best ball this off season. So that's kind of why my volume is a little bit lower than, you know, a lot of other people's in the industry. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that that's just good bankroll management, you know, get in what you can. And, you know, that's the way that it should be. I did manage to get in quite a bit more. And I, I think that that is for a couple of reasons. And one of the big ones was just that I had a nice 10K balance sitting in my drafters account <laughs> after last year. So I wasn't too worried. I was just willy nilly firing shots off into these tournaments. I ended up with currently as of August 29th, 463 total drafts. I have a thing for even numbers, so I really want to get that to a nice cold even 500 um, if, if I'm able to fire off 37 more in the next 10 days, which shouldn't be a struggle. Like you said, Palm 4, and I'm going to try and get some more volume into the $20 on drafters, chase that overlay. In terms of site distribution, drafters has far and away been my highest drafted on site. I like the full PPR format. I like the 20 round format. I just overall enjoy using drafters and it didn't hurt that, like I said, I already had funds readily equipped to the site. So I did 315 of my drafts on drafters. That's 68%. 81 of them on DK. That's 17.5% and 14.5 on underdog, which I think is a little interesting because, you know, underdog is obviously the most popular site. I think that's where a majority of people probably have a majority of their drafts. But just from a raw player perspective, I think that Underdog is probably the most negative EV site. No disrespect to them, but it's just the sharpest. You know, it's got the sharpest players. And there's also a lot of increased variance just due to the playoff nature. Whereas on drafters, it's a little bit softer and also it's just the best team wins. You don't have to worry about, you know, maybe having the best team all year and having a bad week 16 and losing. It's all weighted equally. So yeah. another reason why I uh, I tend to lean drafters, I think. Yeah, I have more drafts on drafters currently as well, kind of for the same reasons as you, I think if you're just drafting for EV drafters and DraftKings are definitely your better options. But underdog, the drafts fill way quicker. You can get in a lot of volume way faster on underdog. So that is the pro. But nonetheless, uh, just a great off season for the consumer. It a is. lot of great tournaments, a lot of great website options that you can basically play any preference that you want. Super flex, full PPR, 20 rounds, 18 rounds, tournament format, total points format, just a ton of options for the consumer this year. I do wonder if that will be the case next year or or if drafters will uh, will collapse under the pressure of this overlay. Hopefully not. I think that having multiple sites with different offerings is a great thing. You know, I, I don't want it to be a monopoly where we where we, are, we only have one or two options, you know, like back to the draft days of old. I think that having multiple sites and options is a really, really 
good thing. In terms of the process, is there anything that you did differently this season compared to previous seasons? Yeah, I think I I focused on roster construction a bit more than last year. I think from a player take or, you know, individual player perspective, I stopped um, going overweight on players that I perceived to be good, but they were in bad situations. Mm. So like one of the biggest examples from last year for me was DJ Chark, where I had like 30 or 35%. I can't remember, but he was, you know, a perceived talented player in my eyes, but in a terrible situation on the Jags blew up in my face. So just avoiding players like that, you know, kind of just getting away from the player takes and who I think is talented and more so just focusing on players who are going to improve as the season goes on. So rookies and injured players um, focus on roster construction and focus on just building the most optimal team that I personally can while still avoiding players that I don't necessarily like because of team situation or talent but not buying into players just because I think they're talented even though they're in bad situations yeah well said and that's actually something I think when we talked at the beginning of the offseason you made a a point to note so I'm glad that you were able to stick through that and and I'm sort of similar I think that one of the things I did most differently this year compared to last year was just focus on diversification I think I took a huge hit last year with the Cam Akers situation. He was like my highest owned running back, and that really, really blew up in my face, especially with the higher end picks. More of my high owned guys this year are guys from the later rounds, which is what I think it should be. That's where you want to take your stands across a large portfolio of best ball teams. I definitely have way less hard stands on the players that I'm into this year. Like, I don't have any players over. 30% my highest exposure is Dearness Johnson at 25%. And I only have eight players over 20%. And and I guess that that is another thing I realized is like, you can be very high on a player compared to the field without being 30, 40% on them. It's just like unnecessary at that point. Like if you have 16%, you're 2X the field and that is good enough. Anything over that and you're taking a pretty hard stance on that player, which I think it's good to take stands. I'm not like, you should be 8% on everybody. I'm not one of those guys, but like there's just levels to it. I don't, I don't think you need to be three, four, five X the field on any given player. I think you're just getting a little bit too confident in your ability to predict something very unpredictable at that point. And the true edge is like you said, in roster construction over individual player takes. Yeah, for sure. And I'm looking at my player exposure right now and you know, it pretty much lines up with all of the players that we have been talking about throughout the offseason. I only have four players that I have 30 plus percent of and they're all 31 percent. But my, mine's just a little bit exaggerated because I have way less volume. Right. Right. So I so like Mike Williams, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Kenny Galladay are like the, my three highest on players on drafters. And then Hollywood Brown. Stefan Diggs, Cream Hunt, Allen Robinson are they're all up there in terms of my top exposed players and that's just kind of how my season shaked up. I think it definitely still matches with, you know, my my thoughts currently, but I, I do agree that you should probably not take hard stands on certain players. I think it's better to take hard stands on late round players, uh, just because the opportunity cost is lower than taking you know a hard stand on a player in the first or second round but nonetheless I I do agree that you should probably be you know somewhere in the 16 to 20 percent range on 
on most of your guys. Yep. And did you get bitten by by any of the guys that you were like super high on? I mean, my obvious result is Ronald Jones having 16% Rojo that was heavily weighted towards the early drafts. And that's where my exposures get a little shaky just because a lot changed and I maybe didn't have the best stands, especially pre-draft in the 555 on drafters so you know 50 total shares of ronald jones for about 250 dollars on drafters that's a tough scene you know jameson williams is still in my top 10 in terms of you know high owned players with 22 percent my adp is 146 his current adp is 179 so definitely like you know taking l's in certain spots i'm also happy though you know because it works out both ways you know like having a ton of zamir white exposure and the 200s when his current adp is 174 i have a ton of sky more exposure at 135 average adp with 14 percent. you know his current adp is in the top 90 so it, it obviously goes both ways especially with rookie wide receivers which is another thing that i think we did well is targeting a ton of rookies in the ambiguous situations because inevitably we knew that their prices would jump post draft and that's exactly what happened almost across the board. Yeah, uh, for for example, for, for my entries is Jalen Tolbert, who I only have 9% of, but my 9% is at an ADP of 232.7. Incredible. His, cur- his current ADP on drafters is 121.9. We talked about this across pretty much all the podcasts that we did before the draft happened. No matter what, in the late rounds, you should be targeting rookies because they will inevitably move up as soon as they get drafted and kind of the same thing goes for the free agents that stayed free agents for a long period of time as it stands right now my biggest bite in the ass is definitely will fuller will fuller is one of my highest owned players on drafters i have him at an average adp of 140.4 and his adp currently is 212 Mm. so that's just That's just a tough scene. I I really just largely stopped taking Will Fuller at that point. Probably should have just tripled down or whatever. And then another big L that I already uh, took on the chest was uh, Mr. Big Chess himself, AB. That was early in the offseason. I have 19% Antonio Brown, uh, who has an average ADP of zero right now. Yeah, that's tough. That's also definitely like indicative of of volume, right? If you had been doing more drafts, that would have just, you know, naturally sort of trailed off. And it's tough, like when you're doing all of these, you know, a high volume amount of drafts, like my Will Fuller exposure, and maybe I would do this differently, but I guess I just sort of thought that no matter what, he would find a spot and and maybe he still will. Maybe we will, you know, find our out to this. But yeah, I've also got 21% Will, Will Fuller exposure, $300 invested into him on drafters at an average ADP of 165 like you noted he is at 212 so absolutely brutal scene there before we move on to our final bit of reflection here I I had one more sort of thing that I did differently this year that I wanted to touch on which I think made a big difference in my process and it was just more so focusing on keeping my rankings updated at all times and and, you know making frequent changes to my updates to stay up to date with news I've always been the kind of drafter that used self-made custom 
rankings, but I think where I fell short in the past was just leaving them unchanged for too long at a time and they would become outdated and then I would end up just overweight on players that maybe I was high on a month and a half ago and not so much anymore. And I think, you know, going in every couple of days and just moving players around even within the same tier, just so if you do get autoed, if you're in a bunch of slow drafts, whatever, whatever, you're able to still get decent diversification like we were talking about. So that was a big part of it for me. And this was, if I'm not mistaken, the first year that you have been drafting off of your own custom rankings as well, right? Yeah. So I imported my rankings to underdog and I've been, um, I've been drafting with my rankings on underdog and kind of doing the same thing, moving players in and out of specific tiers and, uh, used my rankings yesterday in the, in both of our redraft drafts to make some uh, coin flip decisions uh so it's like going with my gut at that point like so a prime example is irv smith for me i who i ended up with in both leagues i have ranked as the tight end 10 but i was getting him as you know the tight end 15 tight end 16 off the board so just in in that situation i took irv smith just because he was my highest ranked player left where in years prior i wouldn't have done so Mm -hmm. so it, it definitely helps to have your own rankings and to adjust them every few days and update them with the news obviously accordingly and just keeping yourself updated and fresh and allowing yourself to get new players and and new builds especially if you're getting in a large volume of drafts yep couldn't agree more all right last thing i wanted to touch on were i guess things that were unique to this offseason the first one that really like just jumps to the forefront of my mind is that and and please god i don't want to jinx this but it seems like by far in recent memory the only offseason where we haven't had major you know landscape altering injuries at at this point in the offseason that completely shook us to the core you know the cam Akers thing last year for example the only big story that has like been drastically changing throughout the offseason was the Deshaun Watson saga. But at this point, there hasn't been one of those injuries that completely changed fantasy so far. Yeah, I mean, it's been a relatively quiet offseason from the injury front. There has been really no major injuries to any of the star players, to even any of the good role players that we draft quite a bit. Tim Patrick... Brian Robinson, thoughts out to him, but you know, yeah. those are guys going outside of like the top 120. I mean, yeah. you know, Cam Akers was a second round pick last year. It's just, it's just totally different. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure if any top 100 player has gotten hurt. I mean, there's been a report that Najee's been dealing with a little bit of an injury. Um, so there, there might be some risks there. And Michael Thomas and Hollywood Brown have dealt with some injuries and Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers as well but you know nothing that will jeopardize their seasons and it looks like all of them are going to be ready to go for week one or at least a majority of them so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to uh to see how the injury variance ends up playing out throughout the season since we didn't get a ton of them in this offseason that just means they will all come fast and furious in the regular season yeah it's a it's a little bit ominous I'm getting worried for week one I it feels like something's coming, but I, I I pray it doesn't. Let's let's look back though. I mean, I think the Deshaun Watson thing is like an interesting case study. Obviously, we sort of like covered this story as it you know evolved throughout the course of the offseason. Do you think that we navigated it correctly in terms of like the timeline that we were buying and 
selling Deshaun Watson. There were certain points where we were in on him. There were certain points that we were off of him. And I I don't know, it, it was just a really fluid and interesting situation to sort of look back on now that we have all of the information. Yeah, no, I think we navigated it relatively well. I think if I remember correctly, at least for me, I was in on Watson early just because I personally believe that he was going to play football again. Whereas I don't, I don't, I'm not sure you did. The initial thing where we both started was kind of like, you know, he probably is going to get suspended, but we have to leave some room open for the fact that like money is the top priority of the league, yeah. not morals. And I, I mean, ultimately, that is exactly what played out. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just going off my exposure, I actually have 25% Deshaun Watson on drafters at an ADP of 171. His ADP right now, though, is 198.8. But over the last few months, having an ADP of 171, I feel like I was buying at the correct times. Because there was a point in this summer where Deshaun Watson got up to being a top 10 round pick if I'm not mistaken he was going well above the 170s at one point it might have only been for a week or two but people were buying him at his highest whereas I wasn't and I think that kind of came across with the podcast and you know all the conversations that we've had about it so I feel like we we did navigate the situation you know as best as as we could have yeah, I, I sort of regret not having more Watson exposure. I guess that in the end, it kind of did work out. But I think that I just gave in too much to like the general consensus when in these situations, in these large field tournaments, I just I, I think in the future, I want to be a little bit more on the side of uncertainty. Like my Watson average ADP is 150, which means that I was buying when the general consensus yeah. was buying, right? So like I was more so waiting for clear information on Watson yeah. when maybe Whereas I shouldn't I have been. Yeah, exactly. So you have more exposure, but you have a better price. And I have, you know, lower quality exposure, if that makes sense. Like it's only 6%, but the price tag isn't really good, especially with Watson being, uh, you know, out for 11 games. Yeah, I mean, I think in the end, probably a full fade would have just been optimal. Mm -hmm. I think that was probably the best route on both sides. Um, You know, I I think this 25% Watson that I have really isn't going to do much. In, in the six games on a total points format on underdog I think it is a little bit different I still think he's worth an 18th round pick and three quarterback builds just because you can get that boom ceiling in the playoff weeks and that's when he's going to come back right so I don't know how much like it, it actually matters especially on drafters but for me yeah I definitely feel like my process around Deshaun Watson was correct if you weren't full fading him of course uh just buying it when he was low and people thought he was going to be suspended for the year and never play football again and then uh being out on him when people actually realized that the NFL just gives no fucks and he was 100% going to be playing football this year yeah that was that was definitely the most probable outcome The only other situation that was like remotely similar, I guess, was the Alvin Kamara one. But I feel like with that, there was better information if you were digging in the right places. Like it was pretty apparent that he wasn't going to get suspended, I think, weeks before it became like the mainstream trend. So hopefully everybody was out there listening to us and anybody else sharp telling you to be buying Alvin Kamara. I mean, he was easily predictable to be one of the guys that shot back into the second round potentially even higher if you know he ended up not getting suspended which i think was the obvious outcome 
for uh, I have 11% Camara at an ADP of 23.1. His current ADP is 17.8 and rising. Yeah, I mean, Camara, pretty sure in our redraft leagues, went in the first round in one of them and in the early second round yep. in the other. And on drafters, I have 19% Camara at an average ADP of 27.3. Damn, um, that's really good. So I think that our process around Camara was correct. And like you said, if you were just following and looking in the right places, especially on Twitter, there were, there was people all over this saying that the suspension was probably going to get pushed back. And obviously Camara has, in my opinion, like running back one overall upside if uh, things break right in that offense and obviously he has a ton of cut catch upside as well so yeah I, I think just in terms of those suspension situations we we, we, we kind of came out with the best possible outcome that we could have all right any final thoughts before we close out this edition of the show no just uh just a good best ball season overall um definitely want to focus on getting in more volume next year but that just ultimately comes down to uh me making more money in real life so well we are only 10 days away from the beginning of the season, 13 days away from the first week of full DraftKings action. Speaking of, if you guys are relatively new to DFS, maybe you haven't played before, maybe you've dabbled, maybe you want to get a brush up on some of the key aspects of DFS, we will be doing sort of a DFS for beginners, a basics of DFS podcast on Wednesday. So make sure you guys tune into that. It is almost time for the greatest form of fantasy football to be back underway. Cannot wait for that. And that is going to be it for this edition of the Best Ball Dose. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Dose Media Net as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what is going on within the network, join our inner circle via the free link to our Discord channel. You can find that in the show notes to this podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.